Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today we're welcoming Marine Corps veteran and actor Rob Mello to the show. Uh, Rob, first of all, thank you for your service. And uh, for those that are familiar with Rob's career in movies and television, uh, he's recently been in AT83, the prequel series to Yellowstone as Yuri, and uh, his awesome portrayal of John Toobes from Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. You've also been in a bunch of other stuff with uh, Frank Grillo into the Ashes, uh, Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington. So again, uh, it's great to have you on here, Rob. Thanks for having me, brother. Thanks so, no, and... Uh, it's interesting too, when I reach out to actors and stuff, I, I always have this, if there's a character on screen, I'm always kind of drawn to that person. It's usually the character actor. Uh, now, obviously, if it's like a Denzel Washington or something like that, you're like, oh, okay, he's a great actor. But certain people portray characters, and I find myself always, in the horror genre, I always kind of gravitate towards the guy that plays the bad guy or this peculiar person. And... <laughs> you playing John Tubes in here in Happy Death Day to you. It's such a, especially when the world is so not creative, people are rehashing old ideas, uh, retooling mm. stuff that's been redone and all this. For you to be part of a franchise now that has this really creative twist from the first movie had these very horror vibes to the second one, which more it's more, more sci-fi, right. to you to have this little niche in this community now, uh, it's got to be pretty cool for you. Yeah. Um, hang on, let me turn my damn phone down so we don't get bothered uh it's uh it's funny because my ex uh you know go to go to like a straight job go to work and you know they find out you know i played this guy and oh my god i saw it and they start clutching pearls and shit and you know oh my he's such an asshole i mean how could you how could you live with somebody like that it must be horrible and she's like it's acting dude he's just like danny trejo looks mean as fuck right and i'm sure i I know once upon a time he was but in reality he he's not he's the he's funny as hell i was in uh i was in a flick with him he was he was really cool that was the flick with uh danny glover as well two uh, badasses on the bayou yeah He's the first and only person i've ever met that i got starstruck i didn't i mean it lasted like two seconds but i was just like Cause that was the first big set I've, I've been on, you know, that there's a parking lot yeah. full of trucks and shit. And, you know, you get there, you don't really, I didn't know shit. Like every, every page of the contract I photographed and sent it to my, to my agent. Cause I didn't, I didn't know how to read it. You know, I didn't know what the fuck that shit meant. And, um, so the, the, uh, the ADs are basically the, they run everything. And the set AD is different than, you know, uh, the trailers, you know, uh, base camp. And so the base camp AD is like, you know, get comfortable. If you if you want breakfast, I can bring you breakfast, shit like that. And I'm just like, all right, I like this, you know. Yeah. But went to wardrobe, got fitted, done, go to hair and makeup. It's in the same trailer. And op- they open the door for you, say stepping. Cause you know, it's, uh, they're working on people and, uh, 
who the hell is sitting in the chair right in the doorway, Danny, Danny T. And he's like, hey, man, where you been? We've been waiting for you. I was just like, <laughs> but we, we both sat for a little bit because uh, on uh, union sets, uh, if there's lightning, they have to stop production. Even if it's indoors, they have to stop production until there's no more lightning for a half hour after that. And uh, it was shot in Baton Rouge in the summer. And so if you know Louisiana, you know yes. around about four o'clock, every friggin' day like clockwork, there's a lightning storm. So me, him, and his uh, his stunt guy, his double. Yep. Uh, we were just hanging out outside, looking at the looking at the lightning and shit, bullshitting. He's like, "So what's what's your story, man?" You know, I was like, "This is my first, you know, actual thing." He's like, "Oh man, that's so exciting!" You know, Are you having fun? I'm like, "Oh." He's like, "So like, what's what's your goal? What's your you know, what's what's the prize in your eyes?" Kind of thing. And I was like, uh, "Do you want me to be honest?" He's like, "No, I want you to lie to me." Yeah, man. I was like, "Well, I want to replace you," and he stopped like the air froze for a second and he was sitting down i'm six feet i'm taller than him anyway but he looked up at me and was like huh i explained i was like dude you're one of the go-to bad guys in hollywood yeah. yes and you know if they need a badass uh hispanic fellow you're the one they call he's like yeah yeah I was like, but you, you, Kaitel, De Niro, you guys are getting older. You're not quite so fucking scary no more, you know? He's like, I could still shoot a gun. I'm like, yeah, I know, dude, but so can I, you know, and I can outrun you, so. <laughs> it's, uh, what the, the thing I love, too, about you, like, especially now with the, the, the conventions and stuff, the horror conventions popping back off again after the pandemic. Oh, the, how cool is it? How cool is it for you to get to, out there and people be like, you, people show up to you and they're like, man, I did your, your portrayal of John to the tubes and happy death day and all that. Like it just resonated with me. It's so powerful. Like you kind of taken aback by that, but now you're part of something that people for every reason, either love to hate you or hate to love you, but you are now that character that people can kind of like look forward to meeting and talking to. No, I love it. I, I don't, I accept, uh, in my training, uh, they, they teach about, you know, uh, sort of light energy dark energy um and stuff like that so I, I fully accept that i'm perfectly capable of murder now would i depends on the situation you right. know and i'd already come to terms with you know the possibility of dying and or murdering somebody years and years ago uh shit, when i was 18 and but it had to be for a good damn reason you know right. uh somebody's invading my fucking house you know, I, I see somebody's about to get killed or, you know, some, some mortal shit going down. Yeah. I'm fine with that. You know, does that, it, it, yeah. go ahead. It does that. So does that come from your time in the Marine Corps? And is there any correlation between the, say your military career and it kind of seeps into other characters where it's like that, that idea of violence or necessary violence, I should say, does that ever seep through when it comes to, playing someone like John Tubes or Yuri or someone like that? Well, I had to do the, the first horror. The first horror piece I did was 10 Seconds to Run. Yeah, and it was a little, little series yeah. we shot in Florida. It was, it was shot by, I mean, they're, they're uh, the Jalbert brothers in uh, the Tampa St. Pete area. And I mean, for having a three-man crew, 
they did some pretty badass stuff. You know, I mean, the shots they got and they just let us riff. There's a whole damn dinner scene where it's just the three of us in character fucking around. And they let it roll for like a half hour. I'm like, did we get the shots? You know, half hour later, did we get the shots or what, guys? And they were just like. <laughs> but uh, shit, what was the original question? Oh, oh. so I, I looked around at the various genres and I just started the, the acting class that I was in. And uh, shout out to Kathy, teacher. Uh, one of the things uh, that uh, she, she's going to hate me because I'm going to say the word <laughs> method, but process. The process yes. uh, that I use is Eric Morris. And he's the most prolific author on the fucking subject. And if you want to get into acting, go by Being and Doing by mm -hmm. Eric Morris. Five bucks off of Amazon, believe me, it'll change you. It, it'll teach you. And um, it's it's really psychological. So there's subpersonalities, and that, that comes from Carl Jung. And looking back, you, you're supposed to look back at, at the furthest memory that you can look back to and you can remember. It might be a smell, it might be a color, music, something happened, whatever it is. And then you try to go back in. To your memory because it's there and remember what were you doing mine was looking out the window at the blizzard of 78 we lived in the projects in massachusetts and uh our bedrooms were on the second floor and the friggin snow was damn near up to the window wow it's really bright really white out and i remember the stank of the polyester red blanket we had with the little pills on it and stuff so uh you know, you just go through everything in your life that you can possibly remember and you'll start remembering shit that you forgot. And I came up with an exercise for myself uh, because, you know, he teaches various exercises, you know, because everybody's story is different and everybody has different problems that have come from their past. So in order to master it and portray that, you've got to deal with it as a human. Right. So if I were, uh, if I were diddled as a kid and it just fucked me up and I blocked it, you know, in order to cope, this, this, uh, this way teaches you to confront it and don't make it a weakness, make it a strength. So I look the way I look. I know what I look like. I look mean as fuck. Yeah. And, and I went out for brunch, uh, this past Sunday with, with my fiance and, uh, I recently got a couple tattoos at a, at a local place and the dude, dude, you know, we we're talking about, you know, film and all that stuff. Well, I go out to smoke a cigarette before our, uh, before our food come, this dude comes out. He's like, you do look mean as fuck in real life. Wow. I'm like, hi, I'm Rob, you know, good to fucking meet you too, dude. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I saw this. I saw that, you know, and, I'm just like, damn, you know, like Trejo and you look just like two dudes I would not want to fucking meet down in Doc Alley. And I'm like, well, all right, I, I, I appreciate that. But, you know, the way the way I was taught, uh, everybody's capable of everything. Um, There's the story of, uh, oh, what the hell's his name? Anyway, this is a, a Jewish actor, uh, Dustin Hoffman. 
And while, while he was in college, you know, they, they kind of did a fight club for actor, for acting. And, you know, who, who in history would you like to portray? And he, he's a Jew. And he's like, I'd love to play Adolf Hitler. And everybody was, you know, aghast. You know, he was a, he was Satan himself. He was a monster. Da, 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 da. He's like, no, no, the fuck he wasn't. He was a human being. So everything that was in Adolf Hitler to do that allowed him to justify and do this crazy shit that he did is also in me because I'm also a human. So for like 10 seconds to run, I realized as I read the script, I really, he, that character, uh, Gideon, he does some really fucked up shit. And I realized that I myself would not do these things. So I've got to tap into that piece <clears throat> that would be all right with it or even encourage it. But in order to do that, I've got to pull a little bit of uh, empathy and humanity out of me. So like one day I just sat down and started watching basically Faces of Death. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. And that kind of shit, you know, yeah. uh, South African to torture yeah. methods and shit like that. They, yeah. they do some fucked up shit. They strip you naked and put a tire around your waist, fill it with petrol and light it on fire. So while you're being seared in half, it's being cauterized at the same time. Oof. And yeah, I mean, beheadings, all sorts of horrible, horrible shit. So after about like three hours, I'm just like, tell my wife, I'm like, babe, I feel fucking drained. She's like, well, close the computer, stupid. <laughs> yeah, true. So it, it's subpersonalities is the way I see it is like a revolver, you know? There's, there's the chamber, which is the main personality. Click, there's another person out, sub-personality, click. And that speaks to Carl Jung. Uh, for instance, you're not gonna talk to your, your love the same way you would talk to a cop that just pulled you over. Correct. You know what I mean? Those are sub-personalities. Um, best, best description I can give is, it was John Lennon's uh, anniversary of his death and I was still going to the class at the time. And of course, Rock Station Steady 24-7 playing Lennon, Lennon, Lennon. And I love John Lennon. So I was really in a home kind of mode. <laughs> so I'm driving in Tampa. And if you've ever driven in Tampa, it's you really got to be, you yeah, know, it's... on the lookout. And this guy in this little shit box, well, he beat my ass, on a, but I was in a four banger at the time. But he damn near hit me. And I went from you know, guru to wailing on the horn, motherfuck, white knuckles and trying to catch up to him to do whatever. Couldn't catch up to him. So in that span, and I cranked the radio back up. So in that span, I, I flicked through like four sub personalities like that. And we don't even realize we do it all the time. You know, you, you wouldn't talk to your boss uh, the way you talk to a priest kind of thing. You know, you wouldn't call him father. Shit right. like that. So it's, uh, I can't speak highly enough of uh, no, that's cool. Eric Morris, you know. And, and, uh, for Just to stay on the, the idea, the, from Happy Death Day, in terms of the director that put this cast together, this character of John Toombs, which is, I assume most people have seen it, uh, is, he's a killer, right? And so when they put together the idea of what this person is going to be as a human, uh, they, when they look at you, 
how did you have any awareness of terms of what changed with the script or what they, once they saw you like dude yes like you said you look mean as fuck but you got this human humanity to you where it's like you can portray this character really well it well you're only given sides when you it, it was a independent film when uh right. when i auditioned so it was in-person audition and i actually had trouble with it because it was uh the hospital bed scene but you're not going to be laying on a hospital bed. It's like a green screen in the back and, you know, the backdrop and there's a camera right there. So I'm racking my brains, talk to a friend. He was like, just make like the wall is your bed and then just fucking act, you know? And initially I was supposed to kill the, uh, the security guard on camera. Yep. Instead of him just not being there. But uh, no, he was there. He was on the floor. But um, I, I talked to the the director from Into the Ashes uh, because I was I had just written a couple of screenplays and wanted to get info from the other side of the camera. You know, what do you look for? What do you what do you see? You know, because you see three hundred videos of the same paragraph. Right. Some he's like, dude. Some people just fucking jump out at you. You know, yeah, it's the same thing, but the words don't matter. And the, be the best way I can explain words don't matter, and they don't, is uh, the phrase, I love you. So you could be on bended knee with a rose and a ring and say that phrase, or you can have her in a headlock with a gun to her head saying that exact same phrase. Right. It's well. just the energy that you put behind it is what, what comes through, what matters. And in order to pull that from yourself, you can't be, I love you. No, it's, I love you. Or, I love you. You know what I mean? Right. Fucking words don't matter, dude. It's the energy that matters, you know? In terms of writing, have you always been a writer like that? Or is this something you've kind of picked up as you've done different TV shows or movies? Because oh, yeah. it seems... It seems like you're, if, like you said, to pull from both sides of the front and behind the camera and kind of put together something on paper where as you do a movie or role, are you taking notes? Are you like, how, what's your process in terms of your writing, whatever it is? Writing, uh, I've always written. I mean, I've always been a creative uh, far back as I can remember. Um, I started drawing. Uh, hang on. Uh, I don't wear headphones. <laughs> um I started drawing when I was fuck a baby, you know, really. And uh, as I got into PBS and shit, thank you, Bob Ross, got me into yes. paintings. Yes. <clears throat> and then, you know, I mean, you, at the time, you know, you play sports, you know, you do this, 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 you don't really concentrate on the art so much. And then other people started passing me and I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to play football for the Patriots anyway. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That didn't happen. But, um, my parents really instilled my dad, especially, uh, instilled a love for the arts. Like a uh, fun little fact. I've seen more operas than I have concerts. That's awesome. What's your favorite opera? <sighs> Phantom of the opera. Classic period. And to speak to that, uh, and to full circle this motherfucker, because that's what I do, uh, that was the first piece of art 
where I felt bad for the bad guy. Yes. I felt empathy. And, you know, as Star Wars has progressed, you know, Darth Vader, yeah, that's a tragedy, but he made fucking choices. This dude was born with a deformity and the cruelty of society fucking warped his mind, you know, and he thought he could have love and in comes society again. No, you can't, you know, so I felt real bad. And we had the, uh, the original London cast on CD and me and my dad used to sit in the basement you remember the the speakers that are like yay fucking yes. high right blaring that shit lights out and you know the speakers are on you know stereo effect and all, all you see is the fucking uh the ember from his fucking stogie and him whimpering and me whimpering because you know music when it for me music and smells is what does it for me so when i hear a piece and i uh you can actually see it in your mind. And then when we went to go see it, both of us like fucking Niagara. Yep. You know, and, and when he's pushing on the lake with all the candles and the mist and you can, the way they, the lyricist, I think Tim Rice wrote it, but the, you know, just the layers of the wording really brought forth in my mind, the importance of words. So in a script, every, a professionally written script, every word is important. So as an actor, you need to be able to rip those words apart and you need to be well-educated, at least relatively well-educated, you know, in order to get that shit done. That's so, Did I answer yeah. your question? No, <laughs> yeah, no, no, you did. And it's like, to talk about the opera, like I've never been, in terms of media, I love movies, I love good television shows, I love music, mm-hmm. but like you said, the, the, when I when I've had other guests on the show, they're in the theater in Broadway. Like uh, Thomas G. Waits has talks where he did stuff with Al Pacino for Othello and stuff on in mm-hmm. New York City. You, you the what I love about Broadway and theater is it's it's obviously it's live, but you your reaction on stage as an actor versus the crowd reaction, uh, an audience the day before can react differently to what they're going to do tonight or vice versa. Yeah. And I love that fear out there, specifically <laughs> actors who are putting themselves out there in that live environment. It's like a concert, I would say, but it's just, there's that hidden danger, especially when people are there, like how they're going to react. Like there is something really powerful to that. Yeah. But at the same time, two points. You're, you're taught, I was taught to always throw a little something different. She, she used to call it paprika because it doesn't really do much for the flavor. It color colorizes your food, but little paprika on your performance and just make it a little bit different every time you do it. So, which pisses a lot of directors off because they want you to do the exact same fucking thing you did on the master. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not wired that way, dude. You know, you're gonna have to fuck, sorry, pick. <laughs> but when I was in high school, uh, I did a play. It was a uh, Woody Allen, Don't Drink the Water. And it's a, uh, a, a Jewish family, they get stuck behind the Iron Curtain and he's in there, the family's in the American embassy and they're trying to figure out how to get the fuck out. And it's comedy, of course, obviously. But uh, like, you know, the play, the playbill, the, the, the script is like this fucking thick, man. And half of it was mine. In addition to, you know, doing Catholic yeah. school shit. And I'm just like, fuck, man. So one night during performance, I, it was just me and my wife who was my smoking buddy at the time, Louise, fucking great, great fucking woman, fucking hysterical. 
and uh, she's a six foot, 300 pound redhead. Couldn't miss her. She even, she stole bowling shoes from the bowling alley to wear them to school because I, I fucking dared her to. <laughs> but uh, we just ha naturally had comedic timing. One, we were friends. And two, you know, she appreciated, uh, you know, she was into Barry White, Barry Manilow, you know, just a variety of stuff. And um, it was just a, a, a scene where it was just me and her. And we went back and forth for about 10 minutes. About halfway through, my mind went, whoop, oh, wow. blank. And she was, you know, she was throwing me the, uh, trying to throw lines. And, you know, I, I modeled this character after the Jackie Mason. Okay, yep. And you know what I mean? Yes. You're a beautiful woman kind of shit. And it, it was in like a choral room, not an auditorium. So it was really intimate. And it was funny as shit because it was all students and like a few parents. But that somebody's grandma was sitting front row center uh, too. And one was open. So I sat down. And I bullshit with her. You look very beautiful tonight. Your dress brings out your eyes. And I hit on this old grandma for like fucking five minutes. Eventually, I remembered it. And she she's on stage, you know, she's on stage doing her nails, and he's he flirts with everybody, and she really helped. Wow. And I was like, all right, I got to go back in character. I will see you afterwards, honey. And I got in, finished the scene, and fucking shit, got off stage and shit my pants. Couldn't believe I did it. And uh fucking people would just die and laughing so that's that's what spiked the vein for acting so is that the the, the idea improv improvisation i think is so i love going to see like sheer badness or like you said like this off-broadway stuff where totally yeah. improvise i find that it's just awesome how awesome people are at that yeah. and so but when it comes to like scripts and stuff how much leeway do you have to portray someone like yuri on atd3 or john tubes because it's Time is money and whatever. I get that. But do they got to give you a leeway? Like, hey, here's the gist of what has to happen or be said. Do it your way, Rob. Well, it depends on the director. Uh, I've had directors that are like, you fucked up these words. <sighs> these are the words. You got it? And then I've had other ones that were just like, that was fucking perfect. You know, clear the gate. It really depends on them. Um yeah, time is money, but when you got a boatload of money, right, it ain't that bad. But like stuff like uh, you, you've got to justify it. Like on 1883, when um, one of the guys was getting, you know, the guy that stole stuff. Yep. And he got, you know, smacked around. I was laughing in the back. <laughs> And the, the director comes up, she's like, uh, this is a rather serious moment, uh, this, this, this. You've got to justify why you did what you did. So I was like, well, I understand Sam's point. You can't have thieves in your midst, especially now it's really, you know, fucked up. Yep. And so when a thief gets his ass beat, I find it yes. funny. And she's like, huh, shit, okay. Just don't, you know, chuckle, 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 you know. Right, right. And like in the best of me, uh, when me and uh, me and Hunter, AB, were at the railroad tracks and, you know, I got the gun and I'm, I'm just fucking grinning ear to ear because I know what I look like. And I know <laughs> that is fucking sinister as shit. 
and you know we did a take <clears throat> and he's like rob honey why did you why are you smiling i don't i don't understand i was like this motherfucker snitched on family put my ass behind bar his ass behind bars and his ass behind bars for 20 years i'm really fuck i'm salivating waiting to put, put a fucking 44 slug in this asshole i can't fucking wait like my dick is hard dude and he's like okay well let's try it my way and then we'll we'll yeah. compare so we did and it it it's all up to the editor anyway to make you look cool that's all I'll, I'll, every editor i've ever worked with i just just make me look cool man that's all I yeah <laughs> so the you you have this passion for acting in sports then you joined the U.S. Marine Corps, and then you go back to acting. To so, like a two-part question: How did you, why, or why did you enlist in the Marine Corps? And then, what, is, what from the Marine Corps put you kind of back into the spotlight in terms of, oh, man, I really do love the acting. Well, I looked quite a bit different when I was eighteen, as do we all. Yeah, of course. But I never thought acting I would ever do acting. I never, I never thought that was even a fucking option. So I had to, you know, work, work. And uh, the reason I joined the Marine Corps was uh, my guidance counselor uh, told me I had missed the SAT date, which apparently I didn't because there was a later one. But he said, I missed it. And I'm going to have to wait another year to, you know, take the test and see about getting into college. And I knew I was a fuck off. You know, yeah. I, I, I knew the general path in my life. I didn't know it was going to go the way it did, but of course, but, um, I, I've, I've got an older brother who's just, sorry to say, man, he's just always been a, a waste, you know, fucked up everything he's ever touched, uh, lived at home till he was like 35, shit like that. Yep. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do something. I don't know what, you know, if it's hitchhike to California and live as a beach bum, I don't give a fuck. I'm not doing that. And uh, a friend of mine and me were playing basketball in the Malden YMCA in Mass. And, uh, you know, it, it's pickup games. So, you know, the next team that forms is sitting on the sidelines waiting, you know, to call a game and shit. And this dude was on recruiter's assistance for the Marine Corps. I just got out of fucking Paris Island, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, so what are you guys doing? You know, going to college? You know, what's up? I told him nothing. I don't fucking know. And at the time, Navy SEALs had just come out not too long ago, you know, with Charlie Sheen yeah. and shit. And I'd always been athletic, always been good at, like, we would ironically play war in the cemetery <laughs> across the street from me. Big ass cemetery, you know, it had a little bit of woods and shit in it. And, you know, I had a hockey stick because my dad wouldn't allow us to have even squirt guns. Um, he was a bit of a hippie. <clears throat> and uh, something that stuck with me is uh, I run in the house, grab my stick, be like, hey, Pop, I'm going to go. I'm going to go play war with the guys in the sem. And he's like, why don't you guys try and play peace for once? And it never stuck to me until my mother reminded wow. me fucking years later. And I'm wow. like fuck we don't we've got a we've got a department of defense who was originally the department of war but we don't have a department of peace that's interesting that's fucked up yeah but yeah man it, it uh that dude 
brought us into the office. They gave us the spiel. And I was like, fuck, yeah, I want to jump out of airplanes. I want, I want to be the guy that kicks the door in and fucking, brah, you know, all that jazz. But uh, as I got in, you know, as I experienced more of it, uh, politics is inevitable because, yeah. you know, we're, we're an, an em empirical, we're not so much an empire in the traditional sense, you know, uh, the sun never sets on the Union Jack kind of thing. But for uh, uh, economic reasons, we have bases fucking everywhere on the on the planet. And um, I was on a thing called uh, Air Alert, and they usually put the new guys on it. It's uh, basically modern day Minutemen. Got it. Um, you've got your shit packed by your door. Uh, you've got your will signed out. You know everything, everything. And we got a, we got a, we got a call. So you've got to be at wherever the president throws a dart on the fucking world map, 50,000 Marines can be there tomorrow. Fully loaded, ready to roll for whatever. Right. And uh, we got a bang on the door. We were playing fucking Super Nintendo. I'm like, man, this is awesome. You know, we got yeah. good food. We work out. We get, we can drink if we want Trade, you know? the neighbors are, are fucking over 21 so fuck yeah they want to see you know the new guy get drunk and act a fool and i mean women i mean this is fucking this is the life dude this is great got five, boom 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 like, have your shit and your ass in the squad and in, in the quad in uh 20 minutes we're going to rwanda and he slams the door i'm like what the fuck is rwanda and we didn't have the internet at the time so wherever you go on base, if you're on air alert recall, uh, you're first in line. doesn't matter if the base commanding, doesn't matter if the commandant's in line in front of you, who the commandant to a Marine is basically God. It goes God, commandant. And there's a little bit on that yeah. side. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we, we go to the armory. I, I ran to the PX because I heard it was in Africa. So I'm like, fuck, I don't know if they got cigarettes there. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I, I grabbed a lager dip for the plane ride over and two cottons of cigarettes and two K-bars, uh, fighting knives. And um, because I'll be damned if I'm going down because I ran out of fucking ammo. And uh, called my ma and Clinton was president at the time and she's screaming through the fucking receiver. That son of a bitch Clinton was on the fucking TV last night. I knew something was going to happen. Ba, 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 ba. I'm like, ma, this is what I signed up to do. So. Yeah, you know, and uh, got to the Chow Hall, and you know CNN was on all the big ass TVs, showing what was happening, and I'm like, I couldn't eat. Nobody ate, and we were just looking. And it was just like, holy fuck, a million people with machetes, and people joined for various reasons. You know what I mean? Because I believed wholeheartedly, growing up, learning about you know you emulate people. Uh, like Gandhi, George Washington, for various reasons, you know, yeah. King Arthur. <clears throat> and I thoroughly had it in my head of being a, a sort of spiritual warrior, a paladin. And I'm American. I'm young. I'm strong. I want to fight for the people that can't fight for themselves. That's the fucking point to me. Not for oil or whatever bullshit political reasons, you know, uh, a million fucking people gone. 
And I'm like, ooh, I mean, we were fucking, we were getting yeah. more pissed by the minute and like it was palpable in the in the mess hall. And fucking, I was just like, you know what? Fuck this, I can't eat. Let's get the fuck out of here. Get my ass to Africa. I'm a fucking, I'm a teach these people. Yep. And uh, so we got back, fucking battalion, you know, left face. Cause all the buses were there to take us to Cherry Point and fly over. And then he right faced us and at ease. And I'm like, what the fuck? Everybody's like, huh? Is he going to give us like a brave hot speech or some shit? What? <laughs> we're ready to go, Doug. And he told us we're standing down. We're on a stand down for 48 hours and then resume normal duty. Like, what the fuck does that mean? And the platoon side was like, we ain't going. What the fuck do you mean we're not going? You just saw the shit I saw. He's like, I know. So we went to the fucking colonel. I'm like, sir, can't it, isn't, isn't there something you can do? Somebody to talk to, to be like, look, my boys are ready to roll, ready to stop this shit. It's a fucking atrocity to mankind. And he said, look, you take your orders from me, right? Yes, sir. I take my orders from somebody else. And they take their orders ultimately up to the president. That's how this fucking country is constructed, son. So if you've got piss and vinegar, go take it out on the fucking civilian population. Don't call me when you get arrested and keep it wrapped up. So that was basically, you know, go find some motherfucker at a club and knock him the fuck out. Yep. And ever since then, I, I lost my will to fight. So that when I fucking, when I see a Chinese tank driving down my street, that's when I'll fucking fight. And you'll yep. never hear from me again. You might find right. a body, but that's about it. Never again. I fucking detest war. Yeah, it's, it, I love that your father talks about that too, about the idea of we're always so war, war, war. And do I feel that there is a need for people, soldiers and police and people to be, have the training and stuff in case there is a war? Yes. But it's just as easy to talk to people and that empathy, be kind, be a human to one another. And it's fascinating that that one instance, like you said, where you're driving the car, where you got, you were John Lennon to act like the road rage. Here you were, I want to fight, help these people fight these, kill these bad guys to fuck this. Like I have no, like what's the, why am I even here? And it, that yin and yang, how it happened so quickly is fascinating. Well, it's, I don't think, I, I thought about that with the goings on in Ukraine and shit. I thought about that recently and I'm like, logically, nobody's born bad, which, which kind of, goes back to acting nobody's born bad you've got to use the script to create how this guy got fucked up in his life to page one and then right. we see that little sliver of life and then things go on if they live which i rarely i rarely live and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh i'm thinking if people in power weren't coercive and liars there wouldn't be a need for it right if there was open dialogue i guarantee fucking tea if it weren't for propaganda which are lies yes. Yes. and things like that that palestine and israel could absolutely yeah. coexist you know what i mean uh the zohan you don't mess with the zohan perfect yep. fucking example you you remove the bullshit and you just have people People are inherently caring. 
Right, we all love the same food, the arts, the music, the theater, the the everything about it, the history. You know, yeah. you you take the media and all this other negativity out of the civilization. Again, you you are correct. You will see people happy and getting along. Well, I think you got to acknowledge that there's going to be negative things. You know, people are going to piss me off. People are not going to bring their cat back in fucking Walmart to the little bin thing. It doesn't piss me off where I want to fucking kill somebody or a whole race of fucking people or a country. But I'm just like, ah, what the fuck? Why are you being lazy? You know, yeah. stuff like that. <clears throat> it's, it's so in terms so you but it, in terms of training in the military, though, like obviously you're very good with shooting and firearms. Did that stem from? Yeah, I heard, I heard you actually got some awards. Uh, did that stem from just happening the past time, or were you generally interested in learning about the nomenclature, the shooting, everything related to the firearm? Oh, the Marine Corps teaches you all that shit. Uh, and the Marines, every every Marine is a rifleman is a quote. Yep. So if you're a cook, you've got to pass the Marine Corps rifle range. And it's I think it was 200, 300, 500 yards. And at 500, it's like kind of a, a man-sized target. So I can hit a, a man in the head with iron sights from five football fields. It's crazy. That's, that's everybody, though. So that, right. and, and that's, that's a great fucking idea, because what if, what if the enemy gets into your baggage train? What if, what if it gets in your rear? Yep. Well, the, the cook can go fucking brap, brap with efficiency. And, you know, it being a small and agile force full of bad, bad, mean motherfuckers, you know what I mean? And the Marines get all the shit equipment anyway, you know, we get the shit that the army doesn't use anymore, which whatever, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm good. I'm good with that. As long as I got something. So in terms with your, obviously the Marine Corps training, you have the firearms, when it comes to transitioning to movies and television and stuff with weapons on set. And I know recently the rust incident happened with Alec Baldwin and stuff. We don't have to get into the, he said, she said aspect of it, but the fact that there is an armor on movie sets uh, that have this specific role and someone like you with the military and the proper training, is it infuriating to see news like that when events like that do happen? Because people will take the firearm seriously. It's, it's just carelessness. Uh, For instance, Brandon Lee, Yes. Uh, that wasn't a live round. It was just, uh, it was a blank, which is a bullet without the projectile, basically. But it wasn't a clean barrel. So whenever I've got a fucking firearm, yeah, the armor hands it to me, very careful, blah, 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 blah. They show me, you know, if it's a nine or whatever, you know, they'll, and but I want them to run a fucking pencil through it. So yeah. I, can, I can see the eraser. And then I'll fucking check it. I don't go, hey. Because <laughs> yeah. that's, again, stupidity. Yeah. But, you know, you check it and you just, all right, let's do this. It, it's, it's sad and it, it, it's just carelessness. And it's, it's sad that uh, that young lady lost her life. Yeah. Uh, personally, I triple check every fucking weapon I got. Yep. You know, uh, swords whatever i if it's a sword made in pakistan fuck no uh germany and japan make the best swords gotcha yeah because i'm curious for, for actual use <laughs> for, for show you know pakistan makes beautiful fucking swords but 
So when it comes to, say, 1883, how many armors and stuff are on set? Because that, it seems like an active gun battle every the whole time. So it's like, how? what's the accountability like for that? Well, like, once an armor gives you your weapon or whatever for the day, the shoot, are you responsible for the whole day? Like even when no, you go to launch? Okay. No. Okay. Uh, for every shot, you know, for instance, uh, those bad guys came up, the bandits yes. came up, and we ended up fucking giving them a beatdown. You know, uh, there were, it, it was choreographed. So you've got like a fight choreographer, you've got the safety guy, you've got the armorer. It's all broken down into pieces. So everybody has a job. And assuming everybody does their job, you know, the person over them double checks them to the AD, to the director and action. So it, it's just like, you know, one, one of the guys, the guy that we, uh, the guy that I had to kick ass to, uh, I give him a couple good kicks too, but uh, he dropped his gun. Oh. And when one of the actors picked it up, he was supposed to. Yeah. <clears throat> and completely fucking stupid scene. I don't even think it made it in, thank God, because it was just, it was logically fucking stupid. And it's like uh, another scene where, like, it, it's hot as fuck. This is, this is Dallas-Fort Worth area in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> and it was hot as balls. And I had period clothing on. So, like, I had the, the big-ass duster on. I had, like, a vest, an undershirt, pantaloons, all, all that shit. And um, so I took my fucking jacket off, you know, and, and wardrobe comes up. Oh, no, you got to put that on. I'm like, no, the fuck I don't. I ain't putting that bitch back on because it's too fucking hot. You put this shit on. You can take my paycheck, you know. That, so, logically, it's hot. Everybody's yeah. fucking hot. There's this dude hanging out by the fire in the background going. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I'm just like, good God. Oh, and, and they pay you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But like, as far as safety goes, you know, everybody has their job and um, we're all professionals. So you, your job is to be handed the gun, check it and get ready to shoot. So you get to your one, which is your, your starting point in a, a given scene, depending on the angles and, and all that shit. But you go to your one and then you wait for your cue, you know? Right. So like uh, shooting that nurse in HDD, nobody was on the other side. I shot down a hallway. And like the, if you'll notice the close-ups of a lot of that kind of shit is so, yeah. you know, they can get me shooting the gun, then they get her getting squibbed and off down the hallway I go. Right. It's, it's because those squibs are actually explosives with, you know, blood packs over them. So it's like, Phew! which that was the first time I ever got squibbed and it was fucking awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man. How much of your like your upbringing, very blue collar, I would say, from your parents? Do you like all the life lessons they gave you? Like, do you? Is it? Are there times in your day now where you kind of look back and be like, now I get why my mom said that or why my dad said this? Like, how much of that upbringing? Oh, yeah. do you, how much of that upbringing helps you realize that hey, life can be tough, but I'm not here to bitch. Be good, like all that type of stuff. There, I'm gonna bitch, 
but I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, not, I'm not just to going to bitch. Uh, my dad was dying and my brother's in Boston. You know, I was, I was there and he went to sleep. So I went out to go smoke cigarette. My brother, you know, when I got back up to the room, my brothers were there. So I give him a smooch. I'm like, Hey pop, what's up? You know, how you feeling? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, what the fuck is that smell? He's like, Robbie, you smoking fucking cigarettes? I'm like, yeah, pop, you know, it's, he's like, you got to quit that shit. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's, you know, it's fucking, it's tough. It's hard to do, you know? He's like, he looked at me and my dad had a, had a way of saying things in like a fucking sentence yeah. that I, I wish I could have. I've, I've got a little bit more Irish in me, I guess. Yep. I'll tell a fucking story. But he looks at me and said, nothing's too hard. That's it. Oh. That's on my IMDb. Yep. I fucking, I robbed the old man. <laughs> but stuff, you know, stuff like that, uh, I got I got from, I listen, when I don't know what I'm talking about or what I'm doing, I shut the fuck up and pay attention. And um, like my, my senior drill instructor, baddest motherfucker you'll ever meet. Uh, you know, they're talking about stress and, you know, battle fatigue and this, this, this. And he's like, let me tell you something, sons. Stress is a 45 pointed at your fucking forehead. Everything from here on out that life throws at you is fucking gravy. So I was like, all right, that, that fucking makes sense. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, if, if you break it down, you don't get overwhelmed. Like recently I was in a, a detox for alcohol. And there was, it's supposed to be this group meeting and there was just two people trying to dominate the fucking conversation. And, and, you know, I'm like, I'm not into that shit. And this girl just kept yakking on and on about how the fuck she doesn't understand or she doesn't get how she can undo this and undo that and then reform a, a new, more positive life and things like that. I was like, you know, and, and the lady called on me. I was like, I've got a visual for you. So I stand up, right? And it's a decent sized room. And I, I turned to this girl. I was like, do you think that I can jump from here and touch that wall? And she's like, no. I'm like, why not? She's like, that's physically impossible. I'm like, so I took a step. What about now? No. And after like five steps, everybody was like, oh, I was like, exactly. It's a fucking process. Now you might take a step back but at least you're fucking moving, you know? Yep. And uh, just a ton of fucking life lessons. Uh, I had a DI that was really into uh, knowledge, battle strategy, uh, understanding world, you know? And I'll never forget it. He looked He looked at me, I, I, answered, I answered a question wrong or something. So I'm doing push-ups and shit. And he gets down in my fucking face with, with that garlic breath, you know? And he's like, Mellow, there's nothing worse than looking stupid. Nothing worse in this world than looking stupid. You need to start reading, motherfucker. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of adopted that. I, I just don't like... You've got your lot in life. You're going to fucking die one day. And this is what yeah. I, tell, I, tell my, I tell my kids. I tell students. I'm like, irrespective of what your you know, theological philosophy is, you have never existed before. None of us have in this sphere. And you'll never exist again. 
It, do, it doesn't matter if you believe in reincarnation or not. Therefore, this life, this moment right now, everything about you is utterly and cosmically unique. So everybody has a story to tell. Nobody's fucking boring. I grew up in rural Indiana and okay, cool. You right. know, uh, so a lot of people just things like uh, in the arts, like painting, uh, a lot of people think they can't do it. Of course you can. It's an acquired skill. And my ex never touched a paintbrush before in her life. <clears throat> Within like three months of us getting together, we're painting fucking murals together. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's your implement, right. which in acting is you. You're, you're the instrument paintbrush and the medium a wall whatever you want to paint or a fucking camera it's just you've got to know your techniques which goes back to learning you've got to learn what the fuck you're doing you can't just jump in front of a nobody's a natural at acting right but we all are in a certain way because we all act every day in our fucking lives you know what uh, what other projects do you have coming up? Anything you could uh, talk about or like what's on your schedule coming, moving forward? Actually, I'm putting all my efforts. Well, eh, kind of. Uh, I just got my drums back. So they're put together and oh, I'm going to uh, jump into music. Awesome. Um, in the future, though. But for now, uh, I wrote a film called uh, a full length feature called Tin Roof. And uh, 88 pages in four days, baby. Damn. And, um, well, I had the idea. So it's all, and I'm about 97 words a minute. I'm, I'm pretty fucking fast when I want to be. <clears throat> so it was just getting it out of my head and onto the, onto the computer, really. Um, so a film I did a couple years ago up in, well, here. <laughs> I'm in Indiana right now. And... Um, <clears throat> It was called The Embalmers. It's a little little indie film, you know, a little project. So you know how you you belong to like this group and that group on Facebook, you know, it's yeah. it's horror, this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'd already done HDD by then. And, you know, I'd only gotten a couple of cons under my belt, but I realized how insane fucking horror fans are. Oh, like yes. They're so loyal, but fierce. I, I, I've never met a group of folks that love a good decapitation scene, but would also give you their last forty dollars in their bank account. Those are horrible. Yes, they're all yeah. the re they're all the rejects from every walk of life, from grade school right. on. And they're all awesome people too. <clears throat> yeah, and the one thing they they share, horror. So uh, I got an invite uh, from this chick Rebecca to join. You know this this short film that some like she was producing and um i was like wow you know i'm checking out the art you know the concept out i'm like wow that's a really good idea you know i really like the art you know what's what's the deal you know can i read the story and she's like fuck yeah sent it over so i read it and i'm like this is this is pretty good you know a little bit of this that that and you know it should be in good shape in my opinion and um I was like, have, has it been cast yet? And she's like, no, why? I was like, well, when auditions come up, you know, let me know. 
and I, I was going to audition for uh, the the main role, but yep. it's in, but it's an indie, so I, I you know it's not cast in L.A. or anything. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, at the time, my rate, my going rate was uh, double scale from Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, if you don't know what scale is, scale is uh, a pay rate for SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, is basically about $1,000 a day, or I think it's $32.50 a week. Gotcha. Um, so double that. And um, it was, it was going to be like two weeks worth of shooting. So that's at least about 12 grand for me yeah. alone. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I asked for peanuts up front because I did need a couple bucks. I always need a couple bucks. But, you know, I wanted to do uh, back end, you know, points. Yeah. Uh, producing producer type points. And she's like, oh, fuck, yeah, no problem. And she was going to pay for me to come up and, you know, take care of it out of her own pocket. And the fellow that, you know, made it, he didn't, he didn't want that, you know. And so she's like, you're a fucking idiot. Bye. And she left the production. And she's like, dude, stick with me. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a script idea. I'm writing you into it. This, this, this. I was like, all right, well, what's, what's the story is, you know, was, was the script? She's like, it hasn't been written. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. All right. Well, you know, what's the story? What's the basic gist? Told me the story. I'm into it. And uh, so they were they're in the process of writing it. You know, they they already they had cast it before they wrote it. So they really wrote around the mm -hmm. actors and yep. their natural mannerisms. So that even if they were having a bad day, you know. And uh, I wrote I wrote a couple scenes. One of them was a date night, which is fucking. It turned out phenomenally, and um, a lot lighter, a lot lighthearted more lighthearted, excuse me, uh, than what I had seen when I wrote it. But I wrote that bitch. I had an idea and I, I just, in five minutes, I had a scene. Awesome. I, I didn't really edit it at all. Maybe like awesome. a typo here or there. But uh, so we're shooting that. And, you know, when you're done, when you're done shooting, you know, you have a beer and chill and bullshit. And uh, I'm like, you know, Rebecca really had her shit together. Like I've worked with a lot of different uh, directors and uh, she, I mean, she solid had her shit together. And I'm like, you know, she's obviously in demand. <clears throat> so, you know, what do you got coming up next? She's like, nothing. I got to get a straight job. Sucks. But, you know, you do what you got to do. You don't have a film coming up. She's like, no. Like, okay. Odd. But ideally, what would you like to do? And the Embalmers was her first her directorial debut. And uh, you know, you know how you remember in the AO, old AOL days? Yeah. You know, your your very first like email address uh, sometimes can be a little embarrassing. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like you know, mine was uh, Bacchus because I like to drink. Yeah. <laughs> and um, hers to this day is Jason's girl. I mean, she got. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> so she's like, I want to direct a camp slasher. I'm like, well, I'll write the motherfucker if you want to direct it. She's like, yeah, let's do that. Came up, came back up here. So while she's on this end of the table, editing the embalmers, You're uh, writing. I'm on this end, writing the next one. 
It was really awesome. like bohemian fucking, you know, we had berets and shit. And oh, yeah. So it was a mix between coffee and rum, whatever I was drinking at the time. You know, if I uh, drink some coffee, if I'm like fucking, I need some rum to chill the fuck out. <laughs> right. But we're working on Tin Roof. We're shooting locally in Indiana, uh, Indianapolis, South Indy, yep. uh, specifically, uh, using local talent because when I started acting in Florida, I guarantee everybody that was in my class at the time, guarantee you've seen at least 90% of them in something. Yeah. You just didn't know who the fuck they were. <clears throat> and um, so we all had to split because the, there was no tax incentives in Florida. You know, uh, Dick Scott got rid of them. Voldemort, whatever the fuck you call him. <laughs> um, so we all had to split, you know, folks went to LA, New York, Atlanta, I went to New Orleans, and it turned out pretty good for me. Yeah. And I just, I hate seeing that because along with the actors, the crew leaves too. So that's electricians, carpenters, uh, caterers, painting, that, 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 that wardrobe, I mean, you name it. And a lot of people don't realize how many moving parts are in a film, you know, yeah. in order to get what you see that for 10 seconds you know and the embalmers cast and crew really really pumped me up I'm, and i mean indiana's fucking beautiful i know axel rose doesn't like it but yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean understandably if you grow up there and nothing's really changed like where i grew up in boston it's fucking completely different yes uh, but it, it, i mean indy's beautiful the people are great you know, and uh, they're starting to get this shit together with, you know, film tax credits after years and years of pushing from uh, Indiana Filmmakers Network. Nate, what's up, man? And um, so that's that's what I'm, I'm, that's the ultimate goal is to get bigger projects, you know, maybe studio here or there. Hoosiers yeah. was shot here, obviously. Right. But, you know, use the, the unique Midwest architecture uh you know like iowa has the same relative architecture you know and there's, there's tons of fucking barns and ramshackle you know barns leaning this way and shit it's just for my eyes it's fucking beautiful so you can just gotta craft a story around your surroundings right. you know <clears throat> I, love, I love it well this has been awesome bro like thank you so much that's it uh, yeah for jumping out here i like to keep it uh <laughs> Keep within the hour. The next time you're on here, we'll talk about more. But it was just—I'm super blown away by you. Could you could definitely see how the the aspects of your upbringing and the military career and stuff like really resonates with you. Was like you're a real like hard on your sleeve type of person, and especially mm -hmm. in the industry. I think that's something that's lacking greatly, uh, especially when you hear all this TMZ bullshit out there. That I wish yeah. there were more people like Rob working out there in movies and stuff. So. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well. Uh... We do have an Indiegogo, I, I have to mention. Yeah, for um, sure. Running. It's a Tin Roof movie. Just look look for that on Indiegogo. Yeah, we'll, we'll share get, the we'll links and all that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, one of them uh, that I wanted to bump was, I. Uh, it's like 150 bucks for like a three hour. And it's it's going to be longer. It's, it's I'm not going to be able to compress everything that I've learned and been taught and ingested in like three hours. So it's, it's probably gonna be a, a few a few days worth at least to make it worth it, <clears throat> but it's super cheap. Yep. And like, I, I, seen, I seen online, there's one lady 
on Facebook says she's at, she has over 90 credits to her to her uh, uh, her resume and she's teaching a, a six uh, is it six she's teaching like a, a, a one day course for like 350 bucks so I jump on over to her IMDB she's got like six acting credits yeah you know what I mean six thank yous six that you know what i mean yeah. it, it doesn't add up to anywhere yeah. fucking close to 90 i'm like archival man. archival footage yeah <laughs> right like i'm man bullshit is a really everywhere nowadays Fuck. Yep. so you know i'll teach you uh the craft which is you know acting pulling from yourself to portray whatever it is uh how to tear a script apart not literally but you know what i mean uh the instrument yourself you've got to take care of yourself i i know I, I do but i don't and um and the business aspects of it you know what what makes a good headshot how do you construct a resume what do you do what more specifically don't you do for instance <clears throat> in casting uh you get you know the paper resume yes and you look at it and you're like all right all right all right so this person was in the magnificent seven jump on over to IMDb, go to their act, their, you know, uh, resume. Yep. And it says uncredited. What that means is you might've been on it. You might not have, but you didn't get paid when fucking production came back through and finished off the IMDb page. So you're lying sack of shit. You're just trying to pad your resume. Don't fucking do that. You can always lie and say you did copious amounts of theater because there's no real way to track that. Right. But IMDB, yeah, anybody that has an uncredited, gone. If you're a background, you, that don't count. You know, background and extras. And and it pisses me off the way Hollywood treats, you know, BG and extras. Yep. But, uh, you know, I can only affect my, you know, I can only create my little ripple and hopefully right. it'll... <clears throat> but yeah, uh, Jump on over to IMD, uh, uh, IGG, Tin Roof Movie. You'll see it. It's, we've got local artists, uh, uh, artist Terrence Muncy from Indy. He, he runs a, a Grayskull Collectibles, really cool little shop. All the, all oh, the nice. old fucking like He-Man guys we used oh, to have and the, and the Star Wars guys. Yep. Oh, man, he's got them all. With the weapons and little accessories <laughs> and shit. And... Uh, he, he's an artist as well. He's going to be at Horror Hound uh, this coming week as well. That's where I'm going uh, with Rebecca, who's my girlfriend now. Uh, she's pretty incredible. Awesome. And um, we're going to Horror Hound to speak on a, a couple of uh, panels. Love it. And uh, find the showrunner and give him a slap upside the head yeah. <laughs> for not having me as a guest. That was actually my first uh, con I did was Cincy. Had oh, a fucking, nice. Had a fucking blast. Yeah, no, I I love seeing that, especially all the actors on there, and they look like they're generally having a good time. Obviously, the crowds are receptive of their work and their legacy, yeah. but like it's fun seeing the other actors and actresses just enjoying themselves in each other's company too. So, yeah, well, I I, I guess uh, I'm a, I'm a bit of an anomaly because rarely do I see guests, you know, go to the after party or the bar, you know, that's in the hotel. Yeah. And that's that's what I did. I heard after party. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm there. I got per diem. I'm I'm fucking yeah. rolling. 
I got in there and fucking like people turned around and, you know, I'm waiting in line at the bar and they're like, they split like the fucking Red Sea. They're like, oh man, get over here. I want to drink with you. I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know, it was really cool. But I I made a bunch of friends. I hung out with this group and uh, they wanted to snap photos. And I know my agent would have been pissed, but fuck him. And uh, they wanted me to, this dude wanted me to kill him, like choke him. I was like, are you sure? yeah 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 it'll be great his old lady's waiting there and i i I grabbed that motherfucker by his neck correctly yeah and stopped choking him and his eyes stopped bugging he's like he starts tapping i'm like what what is this tap thing going on (laughs) like be careful what you ask for motherfucker you're gonna get it yeah for sure well uh rob this has been awesome again thank you for your time and uh service to the country and uh, everything like that i wish you all the success and we'll have to have you on here again soon That'd be awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, sir. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the Chop Fit. Over the course of the past year, the Chop Fit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourselves as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SPEARCHOP10 for $10 off your chocolate order. It'll change your life. Thank you. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.